Sorry, Richter. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this time to take on Total Recall. At least I think we are, although... I, are we? I don't know. I thought we were doing a podcast, but maybe it's only the memory of a podcast. Oh, the hell with it. Let's go to Mars. <laughs> I'm down with that. Slam. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is a movie I think a lot of people have been waiting to hear us take on. uh, But we were like, no, call the conqueror. That's got to come first. Yeah, and we got that one out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that was a really fun episode. But uh, yeah, Total Recall is one of the all-time classic Arnold movies. We thought it would be a good one to pair up with sort of this recent batch of Terminator movies tying it together with the kind of the marquee Schwarzenegger sci-fi action movies. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, this is three Arnold Schwarzenegger sci-fi movies in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't remember what we did before Genesis. Yeah, it's, it's all a blur to me. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's just the recall program. <laughs> but no, I was really excited to take this one on because a little bit of a shameful admission here on the Arnie Geddon podcast, but... I had only seen this movie once. Are you kidding me? Dead serious. I find that hard to believe, Cam, because uh, you're such a Schwarzenegger fan, obviously, and sure. you're such a film buff, too, and a sci-fi fan. I think, you know, it's all, all too often on these episodes where you reference some movie uh, and you say, remember that scene in this? And I'm like, I, not only have I not seen it, I haven't heard of it. Right. I don't know why. Like, I remember... Uh, this movie played in theaters in 1990, and I was too young at that point to see it. All I heard from friends of mine at school was that this was the most violent movie ever made. And I just heard that a lot. And so I knew when I heard that that I wasn't going to see this movie anytime soon. (laughs) But a few years later, like maybe a couple years, I remember taping it off TV and watching it with friend of the show, Mark, who it, showed up in our episode on Predator. You must have been underwhelmed by the violence in 1991 television terms. I don't know. Like, my memory is a lot of the violence was fairly intact. It may have been one of those, like, first-time airings where they would put it in a block where they said parental warning and actually not cut it that much. I don't know. I can't swear to that. But I do remember... You know, just watching it just now, all the violence was stuff I remembered. So I I think that may have been the case. So before today, before we just watched this, you had only seen a television edited version of this movie. Yeah, yeah. And so I watched it then, and I really enjoyed it. And for some reason that I cannot figure out, I never watched it again. I, you know, would watch, say, like, um, uh, uh, Raw Deal, like, three, four times. But for some reason, Total Recall only the once. Who knows? You know those days, though, the days of the VHS, when the movies you tended to watch would be the ones you owned or the ones you had, like, a good copy of? Maybe it's just like I never felt like I had a good copy of Total Recall, so I never really watched it. Well, I had the opposite experience, Cam. This is one of those Schwarzenegger movies where 
I mean, I was excited to watch it again, but I've probably seen this movie a couple dozen times at least. Right. I think back to when it was first released, I was in the same boat as you. I was a little too young to go see it in theaters. Uh, even my negligent uh, father wouldn't take me, but he did allow me to watch it a couple years later uh, at home. It might have been on one of the movie channels or something like that that, yeah. that I watched it. But since that time, I mean, I've seen it more times than I can count. Is it among your most watched Schwarzenegger movies? Oh, it's it's got to be. I think maybe Commando, Predator, T2 in this one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. For me, I guess it would be the first two Terminators, Predator, and yeah, beyond that, I don't know what would fall in fourth place. But those three definitely... Junior? No, not Junior. Twins may be up there. I may have watched Twins quite a few times as a, as a younger you know, kid. Sabotage? <laughs> I'm working on that one. <laughs> I'm you know down to weekly at this point, <laughs> but yeah, like I I don't know, like because I did really enjoy it, and you know I take it you were a big Total Recall fan as well. I don't know, like this one really did have a huge cultural footprint. It's funny though, like all these years later, I remembered so much of the movie, which really speaks to how well it's directed and how good Paul Verhoeven is at imagery, because constantly throughout this entire experience of rewatching it. I remembered everything, whereas I had seen Raw Deal, as I said, three or four times. When you and I did that episode, I remembered almost nothing. <laughs> well, I feel kind of bad now, because as we were watching it, you're a much more respectful movie viewer than I am, but I think I was screaming, uh, see you at the potty, Victor. <laughs> for, <laughs> I remembered that part. For most of the film, so I hope I didn't ruin anything for you. Very little. It really did like lodge its way into my brain. So, like, good job, Verhoeven. Like, total recall... You only got to see it once to remember it for like 30 years. <laughs> Maybe you've seen it like 50 times. Only in a dream. <laughs> How much life do you think we can squeeze out of that joke in the course of this podcast episode? We're going to squeeze the life out of it like, you know, like we were laying on Mars. <laughs> yeah, we're going to blow the eyeballs right out of this thing. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Total Recall and its box office. It opened on June 1st, 1990. This is a big summer movie. Schwarzenegger is... Um, I'm trying to think of what he was coming off of at this point. I guess Twins? Because I don't think he did anything in 1989. So I think it would be Twins. Twins, I think so. I should should have checked it before, but uh, that'd be my guess too. Yeah, so Twins is a big hit, and then he's coming back with this. Uh, so this had a budget of $65 million. Domestically, it made $119 million. Internationally, 142 for a worldwide total of $261 million. Doesn't sound like a lot right now, because we're living in the Endgame, Avatar, Titanic era. Sure. But that was big bucks back then. Yeah, I mean, if you were to adjust that 119 domestic for inflation, like, that's a huge hit. Although, to be fair, at the time, although it's tough to get confirmation of this, but it was alleged to be, to be the most expensive movie ever made. But they say the budget's $65 million. That can't be right. Well, it's interesting when you look at it. Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you count this one, has been in three of the record holders for most expensive movie ever made. Where you got this one, T2, and then True Lies. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, for the top ten, it landed at uh, number seven on the top ten. So, Total Recall, big hit. And that top ten, we've talked about it in the past with like Predator 2 and also uh, Kindergarten Cop. But I'll just blaze through it here. At number one, you had Home Alone. Number two, you had Ghost. Number three, Dances with Wolves. Number four, Pretty Woman. Number five, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number six, Hunt for Red October. Number seven, Total Recall. 
Number eight, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Number nine, Dick Tracy. And number 10, Kindergarten Cop. You know, having done this podcast for a while, that is an unbelievable top 10. We've remarked on it, especially some of the newer ones that Arnold's released. Uh, some of those not even in the top 100, let alone the top 10. But by and large, anything released after about 2010, almost every single thing on the list is a Disney children's movie or a Marvel movie or a marquee franchise, occasionally a reboot. Yeah, like you only have one sequel on this list and it's Die Hard 2. Yeah, it's it's really genuinely unbelievable to see the change in box office preferences or at least what movies are putting out or putting money into in 1990 as compared to what they're putting out in the 2000s and 2010s. Yeah, and like the top four are original properties. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something. For sure. And a couple other notables on here. We didn't really talk in the Kindergarten Cop about some of the other action movies of that year. We talked more about like family comedies of the year to kind of tie it more together with Kindergarten Cop. This wasn't a family comedy? (laughs) So at number 25, we had the Steven Seagal film Hard to Kill. And at number 27, we had his other movie, Marked for Death. Well, I guess Under Siege was probably peak Seagal. It was, yeah. 1990, no slouch, though. Mm -hmm. It's funny, though. So those spots are number 25 and number 27. And number 26 was Goodfellas. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At number 28, you had RoboCop 2, the sequel to Verhoeven's classic original. You know, there's one. Maybe we should revisit it or find some excuse to visit it at some point. But I never actually saw RoboCop 2. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like the earlier version of the script was done by Frank Miller, so it's weird. Or maybe it's RoboCop 3 I didn't see. Oh, that I... one's brutal. That's <laughs> brutal. Because I, I seem to remember the Frank Miller one now. Um, at number 32, you had Rocky Five, by far, I think, considered the worst of the Rocky movies. I was trying to come up with a counter-argument, and I'm afraid I can't. Yeah. <laughs> number 36, you have Sam Raimi's Darkman, a movie I'm a big fan of. Yeah, that's right. Uh, It was. I think what I mentioned in our Kindergarten Cop episode is that uh, my father went to see Darkman after just dumping my brother and I into the Witches movie, which was also released this year. That's right, yeah. It's funny, though. Like, uh, this year you have Darkman and you have Dick Tracy. You have these two adaptations, or at least Darkman's inspired by these old, old pulp heroes. Like, it's such an odd time where Hollywood's like... I think what's going to grab people is old pulp-style heroes. Yeah, you know what we haven't seen a lot of on the big screen is radio dramas. (laughs) No. I guess Lone Ranger was the closest from a few years ago. Um, Number 38, Predator 2, which we covered on the podcast. Look up that episode. It's a fun one. Uh, At number 70, you had Death Warrant, the Van Damme film, which is okay. It's the better of the 1990s like uh prison bound action movies up against uh lockup well let's say 70 is probably an appropriate placement for it probably and at number 112 delta force 2 the columbian connection <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea actually that delta force 2 was released that late i would if someone had asked me is that a 90s movie or an 80s movie yeah i know what side i would have landed on it probably sat on a shelf since the 80s <laughs> <laughs> So that sort of sums up 1990 for box office. But as you can see, Total Recall, it did really well. Like to have uh, a year where Arnold has two movies on the top 10, this was definitely 
close to that peak Arnold period. Yeah, this was, well, this was definitely in that five-year period where Arnold could do, do no wrong. He was the biggest superstar on the planet. Yeah, yeah, and it was an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> it was, it really was. <laughs> so, Tony, you know, as we get ready to delve into the world of Total Recall, what is this movie even about? Well, Cam, as always, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> one day you're not gonna ask me and i'm just gonna sit here dejected for the rest of the podcast yeah let me set the stage for you mm, mm. a word picture yeah. if you will flash forward okay to 2048 two years after i retire yes <laughs> hard-working honest construction worker douglas quaid is haunted by dreams of mars mm. so he goes to recall which is a futuristic travel agency that implants artificial memories into people's brains who i guess they can't go and take those trips themselves but it has the unexpected consequence of unlocking memories that were supposed to be hidden and lo and behold douglas quaid may not actually be douglas quaid and gets sucked into an interplanetary journey of espionage and excitement Right, yeah. Now, this was based on the Philip K. Dick or story, I believe, short story. We can remember it for you wholesale. Tony, did you ever read this? I did. I'm a huge Philip K. Dick fan. I, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but yeah. I think we have. I, I have. I didn't do a refresher for this podcast, but uh, this movie is only loosely based on the short story. Like some names? Basically, in the basic idea of Total Recall? I think even the names might have been changed. But basically, there's a place called Recall. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of mixed up identities going on, as Philip K. Dick was prone to do. There's some diminutive aliens thrown in there for good measure. Uh, okay. But really, when you get down to three-breasted prostitutes and Ronnie Cox's eyes blowing out of his head. Sure, taking the ultimate 30 seconds to Mars. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> yeah um uh, you know i think we talked in the past about running man that's what it was we talked about the uh original yeah, story for running man yeah you're that's right what that, that's what it would have been yeah yeah not oh, philip k dick which would have been stephen king right yeah um but uh yeah so tony we just watched this movie for you i guess the umpteenth time but uh what did you think of it this movie's awesome this movie is so good uh, i don't know what you think cam but there's a reason why i keep coming back to it uh Unlike you, every time I watch it, no matter how many times I watch it, I always see something new. Mm -hmm. Or at least I remember something new. Shall I go into a Total Recall joke? Sure, go for it. No, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> and every time, it's it's just so good. It's it's one of those movies, similar to when we watched Terminator 2, we've watched some real stinkers on this podcast. Sure. And this is not one of them. This is not only a Schwarzenegger classic, but this is a science fiction and action classic. Mm -hmm. How about you? What did you think this second time through? Yeah, I mean, as I said before, so much of it stuck with me, and I guess it's just become iconic pop culture imagery that people know. Um, you know, things like the Johnny Cab or uh, Benny the Cab, you know, Cabby's like hands, the mutant hands, mm -hmm. and even like the death of Richter. All that stuff is really ingrained in my mind, but like watching the movie, I loved it watching it this time. Like, this to me. I never made the connection as much. Like, this is very much like Arnold Schwarzenegger's North by Northwest. A sci-fi version of that Hitchcock classic where it's this seemingly normal guy just brought into this huge espionage caper. But all done with sci-fi trappings. And it's all told 
through action and set pieces the way that like that Hitchcock movie is. Yeah, and it's got a. I, I try not to date myself as a fuddy duddy here, but mm-hmm. it's got the they don't make them like they used to kind of vibe to it watching it. Yeah, now, doesn't it? And hold the the whole idea of like you know the the guy who's seemingly the wrong man brought into these circumstances. It's just so entertaining. Again, like Paul Verhoeven is such a gifted visual storyteller. I was really like impressed over and over again at how he's taking on these sort of you know very trippy mind bendy premises in this movie and explaining them so simply and making them really interesting like and gripping to watch but it's all done with like a lot of times sparse dialogue and setup and it just lets you fill in the little blanks with your imagination and it all works i mean we have seen so many bad movies you know, we talked about Terminator Genesis not too long ago, which isn't like the bottom of the barrel, but spends so much time explaining a sci-fi hook. Endless minutes. Whereas Total Recall just barrels through for 113 minutes, and you're like, you're breathless, you're caught up in the excitement, but at the same time, it gives you something to chew on. Yeah, it's just non-stop either, right? Like, yeah. you understand what's going on, it's very easy to get, but they never sacrifice action or things that are visually interesting for the sake of exposition and it really does double down on all of the elements you would love in a schwarzenegger more like a b-type movie you know you can even say like a raw deal you know it's got those kind of boo hiss type villains it's got the -the over-the-top action it's got the chases and the fisticuffs and all that and the you know over-the-top squib filled gun battles (laughs) but it's all worked into something that feels smarter and really ambitious some dummies looked like they were made entirely of squibs at some points the uh the villains have an army of really dumb goons who just seem to live to get gunned down like it's all that sort of stuff that's really you know done hokey and fun in some of arnold's maybe lesser b movies if any of the characters in this movie existed in the real world they would be immediately incarcerated (laughs) as being totally sociopathic oh totally this movie is almost hilariously sociopathic (laughs) but like it's all just seems like it's having so much fun i could totally see this movie being really grim to sit through just because of how violent it is and how human life is worthless (laughs) yeah i mean if you take another very violent schwarzenegger movie that we watched uh, i guess it's been some time now but like sabotage which was released recently the david air film and there's a movie that's violent Mm -hmm. and it is not fun no this one is like really gloriously over the top type action and violence i mean this was paul verhoeven's follow-up to robocop and a lot of the same elements are at play. That's why I kind of love talking about an auteur here. You know, we often don't do that because a lot of these Arnie movies were done by guys who were kind of, you know, <laughs> workmanlike, especially the later movies. Um, I love talking about it, uh, Verhoeven because you can see a lot of the similar concepts at play in his past movies and continuing into Total Recall. And we would see them continued on in Starship Troopers. Yeah, well, I guess it's worth mentioning here that Total Recall, I mean... It has a pretty storied production, too. Definitely. Like, like this isn't one that they just uh, were sitting around having some herbal tea, and Schwarzenegger was like, hey, Verhoeven, uh, you want to make a movie? Yeah, when you see four writers in the uh, credits, that's not the sign of a smooth production. But they're all great writers. For, for the sure. Most part. Uh, unlike some of them where we have uh, one story by, yeah. feeling a, you know, not even a great writer, a good writer, and then a bunch of people who've done... 
you know, a sequel involving a small girl and a dog that went straight to video. Are you talking about Around the World in 80 Days? <laughs> it could fill in for any number of these movies. But this movie was originally, or at least briefly, attached to De Laurentiis. Allegedly, that's how Schwarzenegger uh, got wind of it when he was working on Raw Deal, which he was filming to basically run out his contract with De Laurentiis. Uh, he heard about this. I mean, that's the story anyways. Uh, it was... De Laurentiis, though, wanted, like, Richard Dreyfus or uh, Patrick Swayze to do it. Yeah, I, I uh, have heard that. I've heard a couple other actors, too, but uh, I'm glad they went with Schwarzenegger. I can't imagine, yeah. uh, what would it be? Dirty Dancing, Total Recall, or... <laughs> or didn't, like, well... Swayze... Close Encounters of the Total Recall. You know, Swayze did, like, Roadhouse. He did, was it Steel Dawn? He did some action stuff. Mr. Holland's Total Recall. Although, wouldn't Patrick Swayze be more believable as the everyman? Probably. It's always hard to believe uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as everyman Douglas Quaid. Especially when he's, like, working that jackhammer on the construction site. I think the jackhammer was working him. <laughs> right. But, yeah, like, it was weird, this project, because it bounced around with other directors, too. Like, Bruce Beresford, who did Driving Miss Daisy, was attached to do it for a little while. What a weird thing that would have been, eh? Yeah, and then David Cronenberg came on, and he really wanted to do it. And he brought William Hurt in to star. William Hurt, by the way, an actor that I don't think people get excited about anymore. Mm -hmm. When you look at William Hurt's, like, in the 80s, his filmography then, it was incredible. Yeah, like, that guy was on a run. Pretty nuts, too. Yeah, and it was, like, uh, David Cronenberg who really wanted to work in the mutant stuff in this movie. So that seemed to stick around. But there's a lot of writing about the development of Total Recall, which went through a lot of permutations and uh the Cronenberg one in particular there's been a lot written about it because of how weird it sounds and how original but uh you can find articles about that online everywhere but also uh, a lot of people say if you want to see a lot of those elements that Cronenberg had for this movie worked into a movie watch Existence where he used mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff a lot of the same kind of themes too as well, right? And, and Yeah. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. I mean, normally, at least for some of the episodes that we've done recently, uh, it's they've been kind of a chore to research. Yeah. Uh, where you're trying to find production notes on Sabotage or Around the World in 80 Days, or for that matter, Junior. Yeah. Uh, not that we've done Junior yet, but these are just not movies that there's a lot of history about in terms of how they were produced. These movies are just kind of... Uh, run through the Hollywood mill. They were made, they made some money generally, or mm -hmm. they lost some money, and see you later, movie. Yeah. Whereas this one, Total Recall, there's no end. You could write a whole book on the making of Total Recall. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was actually a little bit of a struggle because we, we try not to make this into too much of a trivia podcast. And but more... this movie in particular does kind of beg it for a little bit of the context because it went through so much. Yeah, and we're not, even, we're not even touching the tip of the iceberg. So if this is a movie that you guys love the way I love it, uh, you should just <laughs> type it into Google and spend an afternoon uh, reading about all the crazy things about Total Recall. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you really got to take away, though, is that... Uh, you know, we went through all these different permutations. Ultimately, Dune being a bomb is what killed this movie for a while. Yeah, it that's what sucked Dillarantis out of it. Yeah, and Arnie was the one who convinced Carol Co. to buy it. And Arnie had an insane amount of control on this movie. Like, more so than one would think. Uh, even for a star at that time, like, he probably had more control over this than a lot of the other movies he was doing around this time period. 
Yeah, this was about the time where Arnold Schwarzenegger, like we said, he's just breaking into real, genuine superstardom. Mm-hmm. And he could he could command that kind of control and consequently could command that kind of payday on some of his later movies especially. Yeah, totally. And we referenced that there was like four writers, but when you look at who they were... Yeah, they're amazing. They're pretty great because you had um, Ronald Shusett, who wrote, uh, who had a story credit on the original Alien... And he also wrote uh, Above the Law, which was a decent Steven Seagal movie. And also King Kong Lives, which <laughs> it's something. Uh, you also had uh, Dan O'Bannon, who, again, he, wrote on the original Alien. Dan O'Bannon's possibly one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Because he, he did Dark Star. He worked on a lot of the early John Carpenter stuff, I guess, of which Dark Star was one. Yeah, Return uh, of the Living Dead he Return directed. Return of the Living Dead, yeah. Which is a blast. I didn't know he did Blue Thunder. <laughs> did you ever yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then also you had John Pawville, who was kind of a journeyman, but he wrote a lot of uh, genre TV people love, like TNG, uh, Sliders. He wrote for the Total Recall 2070 TV show spinoff. Which you gotta believe having a guy like that on staff, especially surrounded by some other sci-fi vets, probably went a long way as far as just getting this thing done. Totally. And then you also uh, lastly had Gary Goldman, who also wrote Big Trouble in Little China. Which is uh, another John Carpenter deal. classic. Gary Goldman also wrote the movie Navy Seals, which opened the same year as Total Recall and landed at number fifty on the charts. Really? <laughs> yeah. Jeez, <laughs> big year for Gary. That's right. Gary Goldman was next to Arnold Schwarzenegger, just you know, racing to the top in uh, nineteen ninety. Yeah. So pretty much everyone on this movie is just having a good day, having a good year. Nineteen ninety is a good year for everyone who. Had a finger in Total Recall. Totally. And I mean, it's really interesting to hear that Arnie had so much control because, you know, apparently Arnie was really won over by Verhoeven after watching Robocop. And, you know, Verhoeven, I wonder how much power he really had in 1990, just coming off that one American film. And I wonder how much Arnie, you know, with his clout, was able to give Verhoeven basically a playground to run wild with in this movie. Yeah, a while back we did a Lost Projects episode about these Schwarzenegger projects that were never made. One of them was the Verhoeven biblical epic starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, or maybe it wasn't a biblical epic, but a... It was a, a Crusades film. Yeah, yeah. So, something like that. Watching this movie again just made me want to go back in time and, and tell these guys to get it done. Yeah, go back and listen to that podcast episode, because we also talk about Total Recall 2, which also went through an insane creative journey. Yeah, and arguably, ultimately, became the sixth day. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing. I'm glad you brought up the sixth day. This movie was so good, it made me dislike the sixth day more because I could see how much, you know, watching them in relatively close proximity, how much the sixth day ripped this movie off. Was the sixth day ripping? I mean, we talked about this in our sixth day episode. I got, yeah. we got to stop throwing back to our old episodes here, but... Sure. Uh... Was the Six Day ripping off Total Recall, or was it throwing back to Total Recall? I think it was ripping off a lot. I just felt to me like, I suddenly went like, oh my god, that movie was so derivative of all these great concepts that just are tossed off left, right, and center in Total Recall that feel like these moments of invention, whereas there you're like, huh, this reminds me of Total Recall. Well, what about the the Six Day, how they really questioned what is it that gives identity to a man they didn't do that in total recall did they a little bit yeah 
<laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, well, what about having, uh, you know, two versions of oneself uh, who are at odds with each other, but may may share some similarities deep down? They didn't they didn't do that in this movie, did they? Only a little, just a little. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what about having a secondary antagonist played by an actor named Michael, mm. uh, who dies in a gruesome manner? Um. Yeah, I think that happened as well. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. Also, like, a lot of the corporate kind of stuff. Yeah. The flat screen TVs in the wall of an apartment. <laughs> like, all it feels very similar. And also, like, a sci-fi apparatus that Arnold Schwarzenegger has to have attached to his head in some manner. Yeah, well, we talked about it on our on our six day episode where just the, the cover of the six day, you can tell what they're really trying to sell is. Yeah total recall and also the whole idea of like this guy who's unwittingly brought into this espionage and on the run the whole time like they really are similar <laughs> yeah they're pretty much the same movie even the villains are like the same come to think of it <laughs> but everything in the six day is just slightly worse yes right so slightly well you know Michael, parts of it are significant i'd say worse. michael rooker is not as good as Michael Ironside. Sure. Slightly worse, but I wouldn't call him bad. No, I agree. Tony Goldwyn is slightly worse than Ronnie Cox. I, yeah. I wouldn't call him horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was actually really interesting watching Total Recall 2 to see how Verhoeven seemed to be playing on his villains in Robocop because you had Ronnie Cox playing almost the same type of character. And then instead of Michael Ironside in Robocop, you had Kurtwood Smith. So it's like he liked kind of middle-aged guys with receding hairlines. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, really, when you when you think about it, like, what is more threatening than a extremely rich middle aged white guy with a receding headline? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really funny just to see this director kind of finding his footing in American films, and you see how he's kind of revisiting some of his tropes and finding new fun spins on them. Yeah, I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and you also have some great quotable lines too i mean it all works well i think we're at about the point cam where we're going to start actually getting into the movie itself in pretty short order here so uh give our usual disclaimer here which is if you haven't seen this movie i mean god forbid uh go out and watch it but uh we will be spoiling this movie for you if you haven't watched it in a long time do go out and watch it. it's gonna make your life better it's gonna make this podcast more entertaining for you and I won't feel bad wrecking the movie for you. Cool. So let's get into the movie. I think this movie starts incredibly well. That dream sequence on Mars is that, boy, did that stick with me since I first saw it as like an 11-year-old or something or 12-year-old. No kidding, eh? It just opens in that kind of special effect that you can tell it's a special effect. It's definitely a late 80s, early 90s green screen with some practical effects thrown in yeah but man does it look good well rob botten um was uh the one of the main special effects guys on this movie and he worked on john carpenter's the thing which was also like a masterwork of this sort of physical horror mm -hmm. and um this movie actually won the uh special achievement in, spe in special effects at the oscars this year or in 1990 and uh that was i think maybe one of the last years they handed that award out because Going forward, it would become a category, not a special recognition award. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was well-deserved. But yeah, this whole like dream sequence and then segging into the Schwarzenegger life. What I find really interesting about this character, this Quaid character, Douglas Quaid, 
is that the way they set up his character, he doesn't feel normal at all. Like, there's something about this version that feels weird. Like, you can tell this is a strange guy. But he seems like he's got a pretty good life for a strange guy. Too idyllic. Like, this life seems too good, but there's nothing about it that feels layered. And I think that's on purpose. It's supposed to be an illusion, right? Right, yep. So we're looking at it, and it just feels... It's picture perfect in a lot of ways. Yeah, we find out he doesn't really like where he lives right now and he wants to move to Mars. But everything about it is seemingly perfect. Maybe, you know, not the construction job he has. I don't know if I'd want to be on a jackhammer all day. That doesn't strike me as that idyllic. But, you know, like the beautiful home, the beautiful wife. You know, he seems to have friends. It seems pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'll just touch on that. Uh, Talk about feelings of inadequacy inviting the couple of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sharon Stone over to your house for a dinner party. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be like cave trolls answering the door. (laughs) You want some gruel? (laughs) How about some bugs? Eyeball soup? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I love how like Verhoeven stages this where it's like this very synthetic portrayal of his life, but it's also being sold completely straight. So... I don't blame the audience for one second for just buying into it. It feels almost like your typical Hollywood fantasy, but it really is a fantasy. It really is. And uh, it's funny. Every time I watch this movie, uh, I'm totally taken in by Sharon Stone in the first part yeah, of this movie. I'm she's like, great. You, you just get the sense that she's not actually that bad, that she's, you know, you know what's going to happen, but she's there, she's playing a part, but she's actually pretty kind of sympathetic and it turns out she's horrible. I love the part where she says, like, have a nice day as he's walking out the door to go to work. And then she just turns and has this really neutral expression on her face. It's a, like, perfect moment. Yeah, no, it's it's great. That was the first hint we kind of get that things maybe aren't, aren't as perfect as they seem for dear Douglas. I love, too, how the movie segs from here. To him going to the recall offices after seeing the commercial on the uh, on the transit. Uh, by the way, this character is very susceptible to commercials on transit. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? I guess so. But um, I, you know, it's interesting. This character just sees this commercial and is right there. Like, think of another movie. You would have so much explanation as to why he chooses to go to that office. Yeah. Uh, you th- again throw it back to Terminator Genesis. Yeah. Uh, they'd be they'd be talking about their, that for five minutes. In fact, I think they did. Yeah. They talked about why they had to go to the Genesis office for about 15 before they went there. And we still barely understood why they went. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like this movie just makes it so seamless. But you get the, um, that within this Schwarzenegger character, there is this, like, this pull that he can't resist. I think Schwarzenegger does a lot of good, subtle work here. It's not a subtle movie, and he has a lot of moments that one would say are not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> when you're like when you're throwing a man's arms at him that's not subtle oh god that scene is so good it's like my favorite arnold schwarzenegger scene maybe of all time but you can totally feel like the conflicted sort of mindset uh, that he's experiencing in this lifestyle totally and what, what i'll say too is what this movie did really well was uh once he goes to the recall office they actually spend a fair amount of time there and they do do some exposition there, mm-hmm. but it's all very entertaining. You've got Ray Baker as the recall doctor who's kind of explaining what he wants. Maybe you should go to Saturn. You don't want to go mm-hmm. to Mars. What do you want? A blonde or a brunette? You want to yeah. be a secret agent or... The ego program, yeah. All that kind of stuff. And you're getting a sense, but it's more setting the stage for what's going to 
what's going to happen, and really the whole point of the movie, which is what's real and what's not. And there's an amazing transition here where Schwarzenegger has gotten kind of the gist of the ego spy program, and he kind of turns kind of towards the camera smiling, and then it cuts to him tilting back into the recall chair. And it's a very non-flashy transition, but it's so well-directed by Verhoeven. Like, brilliant editing there. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of those movies... I felt the same way when we did our Terminator 2 episode, where uh, I just don't have a lot bad to say, and it's just going to be talking about what's awesome in this movie kind of going through it. We've had a few movies recently where we didn't get to do that, so I think it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think? And this is something that I think Verhoeven does well, but I'm curious to know what you think is the I mean this is obviously a movie from 1990 mm-hmm. so it has and it's set in 2048 so it's got that future of the 80s kind of where Kodak film never died yeah and neon signs are still advertising the same product placements uh with the same logos that they had in 1989 yeah. and news anchors look like they're from 1988 yeah a lot of feathered hair yeah um and then just some of the um I don't know what you'd call them but these futuristic anachronisms if that makes sense where you've right. got like ooh, a, a flat screen tv wall in 2048 hard to believe but it's not even in a like a letterbox format it's still like square like a home television <laughs> yeah the 4-3 format yeah uh little things like the color change nails which we obviously don't have but uh and then these classic science fiction inventions you know the, how could you have a sci-fi movie without a visiphone Sure, yeah, yeah. But well, it, I mean, the Jetsons made it so famous that <laughs> sci-fi has been holding on to that forever, and now we're doing it, so. So we've got, like, a video phone, but at the same time, all the regular phones still plug into walls. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of the, the whole recall office, I love how this movie populates even the smallest characters with so much personality. Every character in this recall office is so memorable. Yeah, the, the assistants, uh, the... The, the one who's screaming into the visiphone or video phone, whatever you want to call it, when yeah. it's on mute. Yeah, and both of, yeah, but, well, both the doctors or whatever they are, lab techs who are trying to, you know, hook Arnold up and then he's going through the schizoid uh, embolism. And it's all just like these great character actors bringing this stuff to life. Yeah, that, that is one thing when I was going through the cast of this movie. There, I mean, there's a lot of people that you you recognize and I think most people who who watch a lot of movies they'll recognize, you know, you got your Ronnie Cox's and your Michael Ironsides. Uh, but if you go a little bit farther down that cast list, uh, a lot of the characters in this movie who have relatively minor roles are these working character actors who have, you know, the, the hundred plus films under their belts, right? You think about, um, you think about like, who was it who played uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's construction buddy? Uh, yeah, Robert Costanzo, who played jo- uh, Joey's father on Friends. He, he's he been in literally like just hundreds of things. It's uh, oh, yeah. He's kind of the poor man's Danny DeVito. Uh, like a lot of these actors, not, not that memorable in the sense that you would never see Robert Costanzo in a leading man role. Mm-hmm. But he is there making these movies come to life. Ray Baker's another one. I mentioned him earlier. And uh, if you go, once we get to Mars... Half yeah. the people in the bar. We got Dean Norris, uh, who most people know from Breaking Bad as um, as a prosthetic wearing 
alien who's pretty funny. Yeah, you've got a couple Star Trek connections. You have, like, I guess the the head of um, Ronnie Cox's military forces is played by Mark Alimo, who would go on to play arguably the greatest villain in the history of Star Trek, uh, Gul Dukat on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You've also got the Johnny Cab is uh, voiced by Robert Picardo, who's, of course, in, like, Inner Space and all the Joe Dante movies. You've got some real heavy hitters, but all of them are incredibly memorable, and I think Verhoeven really deserves a lion's share of the credit here because he sets a specific tone that everyone is performing to, and this movie feels heightened at all times, Mm -hmm. but not in a way that's, like, campy or silly. It just feels like every scene is, like, electric. Yeah, and it's got its own developed aesthetic and vision. Yeah. Like, Verhoeven knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. and he's put people in the movie, uh, or his casting people have put people in this movie, that know how to grab onto that and make that work with Verhoeven, but also make it work with each other, too. Yeah. It's really great. And, I mean, Verhoeven always loves to kind of dig into satire, which he does a lot here as well. Um, but it's like, he approaches his characters on, like, a slight askew angle, and you see that a lot where they just have like this offbeat kind of off-kilter personas to them where it just makes every character in the movie so alive. Yeah, it's great. And even even just little things, if you move away from the the characters themselves, just like the, the scenery, there's things like I think about there's a scene in the it's the airport or the spaceport mm-hmm. where uh, the security scene where people are walking through and you can see the the skeletons to the x-ray and yeah um like we've seen in a lot of movies if someone doesn't have a weapon it goes you know ding yeah, ding yeah, yeah. ding and in a lot of movies that would have just been a throwaway scene it would have been a throwaway special effect yeah where you put it up there oh in the future they have x-rays uh, great good i'm glad i saw that that was kind of neat to see but what verhoven does and he does that a lot in this movie too uh and he does it in a lot of his movies is he brings it back in and that piece of the set becomes its own uh its own character not its own character but its own part of the scenery you know what i mean yeah. where it, it plays a part later in the movie where well he uh, sets things up visually and then mm-hmm. plays on them later yes which is something that like you don't see a lot of directors do nowadays a lot of directors now aren't as visually focused or at least have the understandings of strong visual storytelling that like someone like a verhoven did or james cameron does and i was going to say you mentioned the x-ray scene what was the other movie where we saw Arnold Schwarzenegger walk through an x-ray machine? Maybe Junior? <laughs> no, True Lies. We got to see him do that in his offices every day. Oh, going of to course. Work. Yeah, of course yeah. he did. Yeah. I, I was going to lay a bet down on racer or something like that. Um, not that I recall, but yeah, True, Li- <laughs> True Lies was the one that popped to mind, which we reviewed so long ago, so I don't blame you for forgetting. But um, yeah, like, you know, this movie is a chase movie, and I love how... Verhoeven takes us through all these environments, you know, you referenced, like, you know, the escaping his apartment, the big fight with Sharon Stone, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've never seen a pink tube top and black lycra <laughs> fight quite like that one. No, it's something else. And it's I, a great fight. And it's actually something to the credit to Sharon Stone, uh, and for that matter to Michael Ironside, who also uh, had to do the same thing, but it's tough to come across as threatening mm-hmm. to Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's such yeah. a big guy. Yeah. And Sharon Stone's not really a big person. No, and she <laughs> looks great like up against him. Like yeah, you, she, you buy it. You you buy oh Sharon Stone could she looks like she could kick his ass. Totally. 
Uh, but yeah, like, this movie is this great chase movie that takes you through all these locations, and, like, you see how much value uh, Verhoeven gets out of his locations. Because a lot of time, it's the same ones you're kind of seeing, you know, they'll go back and revisit. But it always feels like you're getting a new angle out of each location. Like, it never feels tired. With a possible exception of the future cars. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You were commenting on the future cars. <laughs> I, I always just like it in, in movies, especially future of the 80s movies. Um, for whatever reason, the cars always have kind of a blocky shape sure. to them. If we go later on, like late 90s, all the cars will have round, glossy shapes. Yeah. But if you're in the future and it's the 80s, everything's going to look like a DeLorean. I'm trying to remember. Do you remember what the cars looked like in the sixth day? I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't remember either. yeah, yeah. It's funny though that you have the Johnny Cabs driving here, and in that movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger's carrying one as a <laughs> as a toy. <laughs> yeah, hard to believe there's another similarity between those two movies. <laughs> that Johnny Cab may be the most nightmare-inducing image I have possibly seen in a movie ever. Do you do you think it's more nightmarish than the? doll in the sixth day because we remarked on that at the time too. i know maybe <laughs> the doll is more but there's something about that johnny cab when it's like laying on its back like on fire it's just so unsettling yeah no, it's pretty uh it is but i think that's what verhoven was going for uh it's almost a shame i would have liked to have seen what this how weird this movie would have been with cronenberg more involved or involved further sure. along because it's already pretty weird and pretty gruesome in places. Totally. I, I was going to say, though, I would love to see a Batman uh, movie with Ventriloquist as the villain where they did uh, Scarface the puppet in that Johnny Cab type look. Like, I think that would be really unsettling. I'm afraid, Cam, that you made too many comic book references. I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. Someone out there gets it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's so many of these action set pieces during this whole chase sequence. Were there any that jumped out at you? Well, I mean, I love the Sharon Stone fight. The first kind of scene where he's realizing that his friends aren't all they seem to be. He's just yeah. killed his his buddy, uh, Costanzo, yeah. and his three buddies. Yeah, <laughs> horribly. Then, like, they are just annihilated. Yeah, and then there's this this extended scene like where he's just, like, elbowing through extras uh, up an escalator. And then, yeah. he, and then he picks up the squib man yeah who <laughs> just turns i think three or four times using him as a human shield uh to block bullets it's just it's the first time where you get the sense where whoa this isn't just an action movie this movie is crazy like that man is like 90 percent squibs <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's just a fountain it's incredible so th that i mean that scene was great the escalator gunfight there uh and then it's hard to really pick one like i mean the fights on Mars are great, the the bar fight, and I might be jumping ahead here, but we've already mentioned it a couple times. The final fight against Richter, who's the secondary antagonist, but kind of the main baddie in this movie, who's just Michael Ironside, who is just awesome, just, yeah. just eating through sets. He's bringing a lot to that character, which I have doubts was on the page. Oh yeah, he's just got that... He's he's at his Michael Ironsidiest. Yeah, yeah. On the elevator where, again, he's just like, you kind of get the impression that, and you get it throughout the entire movie, that this guy is just such a threatening dude and mm -hmm. just totally psychotic. Although I guess he's justifiably angry that his wife 
Sharon Stone, who Arnold Schwarzenegger had been sleeping with, <laughs> not, not known to him, right? Uh, but who'd been under the covers, undercover, I mean, <laughs> with him, has now been killed. Uh, but his death scene and his fight scene is is one of the greatest ever put to film. It is something else, and it has the perfect capper line to the whole thing. Maybe the greatest villain dispatch ever? It's one of them in Schwarzenegger movies. Well, I don't know. I mean, the the whole... it's. I think it's the setup in that one that really makes it. And I know we're jumping ahead here, but we can go back and, and talk about yeah, the yeah. middle part. But where Richter says to Quaid as he's being strapped in the recall machine, uh, we'll see you at the party. Mm-hmm. And then about 20 minutes of movie passes where there's plot developments, action scenes. Uh, we learn about the reactors that are gonna make uh mars's atmosphere oxygen and water again right all this stuff happens and then there's the fight on the elevator and uh quaid is holding on to richter's arms and the elevator goes up over uh over a concrete blocker first of all michael ironside props to him he's got a really good movie yell oh yeah but his armless body falling yeah and then schwarzenegger throwing the arms down in disgust and saying See you at the party, Richter. <laughs> so incredible. One of the all-time greats. I mean, I know like people like to quote the, you know, Bennett let off some steam. I think this might be better. I think so. I think that this, You think so? This this might be on the the AFI's list of top 10 movie quotes <laughs> of all time. It's 100 years, 100 quotes. Yeah, play it again, Sam. Sure. Uh I could have been a contender and see you at the party, Richter. And that's right above use the force. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's just so much cool stuff. I love to the whole sequence where Schwarzenegger is going through customs and he's in this disguise as this kind of middle-aged woman and the uh, disguise starts breaking down and you just have this super bizarre sequence where, so weird where this like woman's face is like distorting and he, like the, he's like pulling at the mouth and everything it's weird yeah he's just saying like two weeks two weeks are you bringing in any fruits and vegetables two weeks <laughs> yeah like i love moments like that because you know for so good for supplying moments like that because they're the types of things where it's like you would never see that in another movie like, no other filmmaker would have come up with that scene and staged it that way. Uh, Cronenberg might have. That's, well, that's possible. Although, Cronenberg tends to be much, like, uh, chillier. Like, he has much more of, like, a uh, like a cold, like, aloof approach to stuff. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, they're definitely very distinct as directors. Yeah. Yeah, like, more clinical than what Verhoeven does. Yeah, but that, I mean, that scene was great and kind of typical of Verhoeven, but great in this movie is... Right immediately after that scene, which is just a special effects extravaganza and really weird. Mm-hmm. I like it when they throw money at weird instead of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and right after that, they have the first scene, I guess the second scene, if you count the dream sequence at the beginning, of the airlock blowing. Mm-hmm. And we, we get a sense of how <laughs> poorly planned out, really, when you get down to it, uh, this Mars colony is. I, I like how yeah. they... Uh, I like how when a when a window goes out, it's pretty much certain death for everybody. <laughs> but still, everything's just single pane glass that can be yeah you know broken with a. <laughs> well, they did say that Ronnie Cox's character was building cheap domes. 
Yeah, they, they did. That was causing all the mutants. So, you know, <laughs> it kind of makes sense. There's an internal logic to the movie. But uh, there's another great sequence, too, where Arnold Schwarzenegger has gotten his, seat, uh, his suitcase of spy stuff. And he's just going through it, surrounded by the friendliest rats I've ever seen. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like all this stuff's being set up visually. You're just seeing him tinker around with things. And all this stuff pays off later in awesome ways when they, you know, use this hologram emitter to, like, take down all these idiot goons, you know, in a big firefight at the end. Like, I love how Verhoeven sets that stuff up and then pays it off. Yeah, I know exactly I know exactly what you mean. Uh, or, or they set up the big worrying fans in the bar. Yeah, Which yeah. are just there as scenery. Yeah. Until they get cut off and the air stops flowing. Yeah. That kind of thing. And I mean that nose, uh, you know the uh, the thing he has to pull out of his nose, the tracker, that is something else. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I'm pretty sure that must have been a prosthetic head. I don't I don't know. It looks like a prosthetic head. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure. But it looks great. It looks fantastic because it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> like, what other filmmaker would do this? It's such a like odd odd scene, and that's what I love about. It. That's what makes this movie special. It's the type of movie that you sit there and you go, "You could never remake this movie because it feels so unique." Well, uh, <laughs> someone might have disagreed with you around 2012. I know, right? But like, when you look at this movie simply as a you know piece of art, it's so odd, so unique. Everything that you love about it is all these weird touches that Verhoeven brings to it. They feel like not the sort of thing you can transport forward. So, you know, we're going to touch on that later down the road. But, uh, you know, it's just very interesting. Yeah, I think part of that's Schwarzenegger, too, because there's not a lot of actors these days. Because, like, this movie is obviously set not only in this weird Verhoeven sci-fi, let's throw a bunch of money at weirdness world, yeah, but it's also set in this, like, extremely hyper-violent... Yeah. Similar to Robocop world. And the type of action that's in this movie and the type of, like, the especially the physical one-on-one -on -one combat that Quaid has with other people, there's not a lot of other actors that could pull off this type of action, right? Very it's few, yeah. Just like this Schwarzenegger's so big and so physical, it's maybe one of his best roles as far as just demolishing bad guys in a very convincing way and Verhoeven doesn't pull any punches here you know we're, we're seeing bars being rammed through people's mouths at the back of their heads <laughs> <laughs> we're you know obviously squib man yeah just just nothing but blood and guts uh, uh, apparently this movie was actually reshot and or re-edited to get it away from an x rating right yeah yeah I just think of, like, Schwarzenegger is, I think, a key element in the movie's success because just the violence in this movie is so brutal. And Schwarzenegger kills with extreme prejudice in, like, every scene. <laughs> and I think if you had an actor who was too grim, that character would come across as a psychopath. But there's something about the twinkle in Schwarzenegger's eye. As he throws a chair through someone's head. Yes. You somehow are along for the ride. And, like, that's what kind of makes it fun. And somehow, all the absurdities of the movie are all grounded in his performance. And, I mean, I guess we should also give some points to Rachel uh, Ticketon, who shows up um, as uh, Melina, the woman who he has had dreams about, who he makes contacts with at the last resort. It's an old lover of his. 
Possibly. We don't really know. This movie's still kind of ambiguous, but... Uh, yeah, it, it definitely gets a pretty... A little bit Inception-y at the end. It does, yeah. But, um, although Inception to me is not a mystery at the end. This <laughs> one is a little more so. But, uh, you know, her character is also pretty grounded. Like, I think it's really easy to look at her character and say, Well, she's okay. She's not as memorable as Sharon Stone. But you look at what the two have to do, Sharon Stone is getting the really juicy, like, devilish material to play with. Yeah, Sharon Stone gets sex and violence. Yeah. Um, Rachel Ticketon gets exposition and seriousness. And and playing the, you know, like, the one person that the Schwarzenegger character can kind of have his sort of, you know, intimate conversations with. Mm-hmm. But I think she's solid. Like, I think it's a, oh, it's yeah. a performance that you need to kind of back this character as well. Like, I I don't think it's a boring character or anything. I think it's actually a good performance and a character that actually has enough personality to her that you buy her in all the action, totally. Like, she's great going up against Sharon Stone's character. But also, at the end, when she's, you know, hanging, flapping in the breeze like Schwarzenegger and Ronnie Cox, you buy it. Yeah, totally. They did a good job. Although, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Schwarzenegger and Ticketin, hopefully I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I apologize. But... I'm pretty sure that they would have had permanent eyeball damage <laughs> after that that exercise in uh, a thin atmosphere after being ejected onto Mars there. I don't know that this is a movie you can look to, though, for scientific truth. Oh, really? <laughs> you were making some comments about the uh, the generator in the water, the ice in the at the core of the planet. Yeah, they do explain how the alien reactor is going to... Uh, melt the ice which is going to create oxygen Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean i'm no scientist i think i've said that on this podcast before but i'm pretty sure that melting ice does not give you breathable oxygen right and not instantly like a volcano i mean we gotta we gotta talk about that that scene while we're on it that oxygen volcano scene, first of all, it was way longer than I remember it. Yeah. I, I certainly remembered, you know, Arnold's eyes bulging out of his head and then the the reactor works and lo and behold, there's air. I totally forgot that there was like three minutes of insane animated oxygen volcano yeah. just like blowing the windows out of every dome. Yeah. You used it, to see that sort of thing in 80s blockbusters where they would have these... Uh, you know, these kind of practical effect sequences that, that would go on a long time. You saw them in, like, some of the Superman movies and things like that. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought it was awesome. I, I, I looked over at you. You were kind of giving it the sideways head tilt. I don't know what you thought about it. I just joked. I said, the money is all over the screen. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> it should have been a money volcano. Yeah. But just going back to the reactor, too. I mean, there's another part of this movie where, I mean, the reactor obviously serves this pivotal role as uh you know a building sized macguffin to begin with but it, it's also the the shootout there with the holograms mm-hmm. which we've seen before either with mirrors or holograms or oh, doubles yeah. or whatever but and a lot of times it's done kind of poorly or like i get the point like they're just yeah like um just recently actually a couple last year i guess the dwayne johnson movie skyscraper pulled a very similar type of sequence in the finale you compare that to this, it's kind of embarrassing. Although I've got a real soft spot in my heart for Skyscraper. I went to see it at a small town theater when I was on the road. Right. And for, I think for $2. 
and it it was worth every penny. Okay, okay. I paid like sixteen ninety nine, so I wasn't laughing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like uh, you know that that sequence is just incredibly well directed, and like Verhoeven makes even like just your standard chase sequences really memorable. I mean, there's another scene where um, the character Benny, uh, played by Mel Johnson Jr., who's the cabbie with the mutant arms is driving after Arnie and Rachel in, like, a drill machine. Yeah. And it's insane. Yeah. It, it, it's like something out of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's like, yeah. like, no mining company would ever make a machine like this. Like, yeah. you know, you'd have maybe a, a couple drills and a couple grinders. Your entire machine would not just be made of flesh grinding spinning <laughs> wheels of death it's so memorable though and and, and if you were going to make that machine yeah. it would not be possible to make the entire thing just basically shut down catastrophically by <laughs> drilling a single hose that's exposed on the outside <laughs> of this thing i just love though the world building of this movie like it sets it up that it's kind of an absurd world right off the top like this whole heightened reality of like ronnie cox in an office like overseeing the mining uh you know colony and the mutants and all that like it just feels so absurd but like verhoven sells it so well yeah i thought the the best payoff on the mutant scene and it still gives me chills every time it comes up is uh Quato, who they're trying to meet, who's the leader, yeah. leader of the mutant resistance, who's a, a guy with a basically another guy in, in his stomach that's yeah. kind of deformed and weird looking, but gives some very Kenobi-like advice. Yeah, like uh, that character would, should be scary, but he's actually oddly poignant. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, it just seems like a nice guy. He just happens to be half man, half baby, Cr- baby in the belly of a man. Yeah, it's kind of like Krang. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not really an action sequence, but the mind meld sequence, where the telepathic sequence, yeah, uh, where Quado and Quaid, uh, you know, Quaid opens his mind and Quado uh, goes into it telepathically to do some, I don't know, I guess some psychic surgery of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's again so weird and it's so awesome. Yeah, just like. You know, the special effects, they're, they're, they look a little dated now. Sure. But, I, again, like you said, with the oxygen volcano, the money money's on the screen there. Yeah. And you look at something like that, and then you look at a movie that's released more recently. Like, look at something like um, Doctor Strange, the Marvel movie. Sure. Which had an extended dream sequence. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you got to wonder, is a sequence like that happening without... Uh, without Quado and Total Recall, because sure, it's all building on the foundations, right? Yeah, so, I yeah. mean, I I don't know. <laughs> I should dial that back. I mean, I'm I'm not a film historian. I don't know how much Doctor Strange owns the Total Recall. <laughs> sure, but, no, but I think you, I think the point stands, and that you know all these blockbusters and all these sort of visual uh, f- flights of fancy are all kind of building off of the preceding generation of films. Yeah, and even if they're not, hell, for 1990, it looks yeah. great here. Well, you know, you talked about um, Quato um, kind of tapping into uh, Quaid's mind. Let's talk about a couple of the kind of the mind-tripping sequences. There's three. So the first one, you have uh, this doctor showing up with uh, with Sharon Stone's character and saying like, Hey, Quaid, you are still, you know, undergoing the uh, schizoid embolism. We need to talk you out of this. Oh, yeah, that was great. And we need you to take this pill. And... 
like okay morpheus (laughs) take the red pill yeah and was there ever a point do you remember where you were maybe convinced this might be the case that he might still be under it's hard to say i've seen the movie so many times uh and i i do remember thinking to myself and i thought at this time too well it seems a little harsh you know whether it's a dream or not it seems a little harsh to blow a guy's brains out for a drop of sweat yeah yeah but it has to be like i feel like that's the tell there like i actually expected rewatching it that uh, verhoven would leave it a little more open but i think the sweat kind of gives it away <laughs> like i don't know that i buy it well i don't know if it is a dream it seems like everyone else in quade's dream is also sweating i guess but no i think this one i think that they're tipping to the audience that this one isn't true because then we get the second one right where we get ronnie cox saying hey by the way uh you know you basically allowed yourself to become a mole and then he has this great video of schwarzenegger oh it's great like explaining to his other uh you know his his the quaid character um it turns out they're best friends yeah 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 and i love that they're, <laughs> they're like, both jerks yeah and he's like see you around buddy like that's another sequence it's great it's another twist that really does turn the whole movie on its head and like this one works so well like it's just so much fun and I love that villain video that Schwarzenegger made for himself. Like, that's glorious. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty hilarious where he's just being such a dick yeah. to himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and especially on the tale of the of the first one, the first video where he seems like he's helping him. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, this movie does it really well. I mean, it it seems obvious to me at the end, okay, he, he actually wasn't in uh, a recall memory right even though they fade to white that's the third one where yeah she says you know this might be a dream or something like that and then we fade to white mm-hmm. what do you think i mean i don't think so I, but I, I think that either way that's just my my humble opinion i am h o uh, but either way i think that it's great uh and what verhoven does with it is is totally awesome, which is it keeps you guessing the whole movie. Yeah. And then leaves it more or less up to the audience to make their own decision. And for people like you and I to sit around yeah, arguing about it for literally years after. I mean, it really is, you know, you said it earlier, like the Inception top moment. To mm-hmm. me, that one never really, I, that's not one I really struggled with because the top wobbles at the end. So to me, it was never a case of like, well... It only takes small things for you. It takes a wobbling top, a bead of sweat. That's right. I'm very simple. For I'm me. looking for that one little cue. For me, no, I don't. I don't think so. I... But this one is more ambiguous. Like it is a fade to white, you know, which really is sending uh, through the visual grammar the idea of waking up. So, like, and it seems like when we look at the Total Recall sequel that was in development for God knows how long, they were going to play off the idea that it was a fantasy, that it was a dream. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, that's probably yeah. the direction I'd go to. <laughs> yeah, it is really great, though. Like, it's something that, you know, as I said earlier in this episode, like, this is really, you know, giving us a fun Schwarzenegger action movie, but giving you these food for thought moments that I think have allowed it to have this long legacy. Yeah, it's one of those movies where it's got just enough philosophy to make it interesting. Yeah. and But not so much to make it boring. Kind of like The Matrix. Yeah, a little bit like The Matrix, actually. Yeah, and not like The Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> maybe not, although I, I loved all three Matrixes. Yeah. Um, well, I maybe not loved, but... Uh... <laughs> Are you excited about the fourth one? Uh, 
Oh yeah, we'll see what they come up with. Sure. Uh, yeah, like, but no, this does feel like that kind of early setup for movies like The Matrix, that sort of cyberpunk trend that would come later down the road, and a lot of them would be uh, inspired or based off of Philip K. Dick stories. Johnny Mnemonic. Yep, <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about all these all these weird moments. I guess more than the action moments, and more than the even the 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 dream skipping moments are there are there any other weird moments that pop to your mind i think we have to talk about last resort which is the brothel slash nightclub i don't really know what it is on mars that schwarzenegger <laughs> has to go where he meets up with the uh rachel rachel Ticketin's character melina um it seems like a fun place it seems so bizarre <laughs> <laughs> and then like you know, he goes to this hotel and a great sequence, that whole spy sequence where he has to give his identification. He finds in this like safety box this like crumpled up uh, advertisement for this place. Yeah, very kind of film noir Totally, yeah. And then he goes at, at there. The, at the Hilton, by the way, with the most outdated Hilton logo. Yeah. I've, I, I didn't even know they ever had a logo like that. And those like employee uniforms were ghastly. <laughs> But, like, the Last Resort set is very strange, and it's populated by all these incredibly memorable characters. You know, Dean Morris is a mutant, of course. And, of course, what Total Recall podcast episode would be complete without mentioning the three-breasted prostitute? Sure, Mary, played by uh, Alicia Naff, who played Sonia Gomez on uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, she's iconic. People remembered that character for many years. <laughs> I know, I remembered her for many years. Sure. Seeing this at the age of 12 or 13. Sure, I mean, <laughs> again, only Paul Verhoeven would have thought that idea up and put that in the movie. <laughs> you also have uh, Debbie Lee Carrington, who plays Thumbelina. Uh, she's another prostitute at this brothel. Like, she's really memorable, like, firing shotguns in the end. Like, the whole bar, which is really the predominant set on Mars, <laughs> that's where the entire population is. This is definitely belonging to like the uh, Tim Burton Batman school of filmmaking, where an entire population consists of like a room of twelve people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and synth music. Oh, and lots of synth music. Yeah, because you know, in the future, you're gonna have synths. That's right. But yeah, like you know, there's so many weird moments at the Last Resort that like. It is a, it is like just one of those locations that wow, <laughs> when you watch the movie, it definitely uh, you know it leaves an impression. All those people suffocating and then seeming to just stand back up without really having any ill effects from uh, hours of oxygen deprivation. But what about for you? Uh, weird moments that stand out. Uh, I really like the some of the things that some of the other characters brought to it. Uh, I mean, we already talked about. I mean. See you at the party, Richter. I just bears mentioning again, but I really liked it when Ronnie Cox, uh, playing Cohagen, yeah, who's not Quaid, but uh, Quaid's alter ego's best friend, mm -hmm. and turns out Quaid has escaped again, and he makes the decision, oh, he's gonna kill him, and he gets so mad that he kicks over his tank of goldfish, yes, and the, and there's a close up of the goldfish gasping for breath, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, great, great foreshadowing. We see this, we see this kind of thing done in some of the other movies that we've we've looked at, and they're just totally on the nose. Yeah. But it's also just highlights like this guy's just such a jerk. I never even picked up on the foreshadowing of this. That really is clever. That's genius. It is. Yeah, like that. That's so great. 
oh, wow, <laughs> I'm blown away at the moment. <laughs> that kind of thing. And then just the, the you know, the usual Schwarzenegger touches that, um, you know, combined with Verhoeven of, you know, running a mining drill through someone while screaming, yeah. screw you. <laughs> Straight out of Running Man, isn't it? That's a moment that would have fit very well in there. I don't know if those are weird moments, but they're definitely uh, great moments that really make the movie. Yeah, and just like a great score too. Like mm-hmm. this movie just looks and sounds wonderful. I love the shot actually when they're flying to Mars and you just see that ship against the, like the red sky. It looks incredible. It's just these little touches that just make this world feel real. All these characters and these weird moments we're referencing, they really fill it out. It feels like a complete package of a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I just think of how many action movies I see a lot nowadays where I pray for one moment that's weird and kind of off the cuff. Like, there's a billion of them in this movie. You know, like, for example, though, like, the Ronnie Cox kicking the goldfish over. If I see that in your standard action movie now... That's like the highlight to me because it feels like it's something that's not part of the template. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Or, or even just having a, a sense of moving forward, but not just moving forward for the sake of moving forward. Yeah. Like, I mean, this movie has its own MacGuffins and its own things to be pursuing. And it's got its own act structure, but it doesn't really feel like that, right? It doesn't no. feel like it was written in um, in the backseat of a cab. But it like a lot of the movie feels like a fever dream, mm-hmm. and that's very fitting for a movie that could all be a dream. Yeah, you think of some other movies that have kind of played with memory and identity like this. Like I think of maybe Memento. Sure. Um, I mean, not so much The Sixth Day. There was that movie Identity. I think they did it. <laughs> and you look at kind of what works and what doesn't, and this this movie kind of hits everything that's right without going down the wrong path yeah and it doesn't feel like a wank fest like something that's really like like grates on your nerves with it's kind of like look at me i might be a dream like it really does play it straight win over the audience but then kind of pull the rug out from under them at at spots yeah because really the threat here is is not the loss of memory or the confusion the threat in total recall is you know getting your arms chopped off or, or getting your eyes blown out of your head and and on a broader scale, the threat is having all the oxygen taken out of a, a whole population of people. Exactly. So, like, no, this really is a, like, sci-fi action masterpiece. Or, or, or for that matter, I think uh, Kohagen mentions it as, you know, the reason why you can't start the reactor is because the... The mineral, I forget what it's called, trinidium or something like yeah, that. Yeah, every time he said it, I was like, wait, what? What did he say? <laughs> yeah, unobtainium, whatever yeah. it is. Uh, if he He's worried that if he starts it, the whole planet will just explode in like a nuclear reaction. Now, that's pretty high stakes stuff there. It is. It's great stakes. But the stakes are like, for him, you know, we know exactly what he wants. And we know exactly what the Schwarzenegger character wants. Like, it's all very clean, clear action filmmaking. It's great stuff. It's awesome. Okay, so final thoughts, I think, on Total Recall. Uh, Hard to think of anything more to say what we haven't already said. I mean, you know, this is, what, the 37th or 38th or 39th time I've seen this movie. Uh, I've seen it time and time again, and every time it's awesome. And there's not a lot more to say. It's just great. I really enjoyed watching it again, and uh, I I got new things out of it watching it this time, as I always do. How I mean, you? The, yeah, I feel the same way. I hadn't seen it that many, but I can guarantee you that it won't be another 20-something years before I watch it again. Like, this is a movie that I feel a little embarrassed now that I hadn't 
watched more times along the road because it is so much fun, so inventive. And I mean, it's funny because like Verhoeven, for me, I've seen RoboCop a few times. Mm -hmm. I watch Starship Troopers a lot. That is probably the Verhoeven movie I've watched the most because I really, really loved Starship Troopers and still love Starship Troopers. And like this one belongs for me in the same rotation, like a movie that I constantly pull out because it's doing things that other movies don't do. And those are the movies to treasure, and they're what I pray for going to all the movies I do in my life. You always hope to see, you know, a movie that's doing things that other people aren't doing. And, like, Total Recall is just a perfect example of that. And for Arnold, it is one of the best visionary films he starred in. Yeah, totally. And it's it's almost a shame, because what we've been doing a lot recently is some of his newer movies. Uh, some of them are hit and miss, but... They always have things to talk about... But a lot of them are movies that we're like, probably won't be watching this next year. Yeah, and none of them are really just have the same hard-hitting impact. And, uh, I mean, I think you used the the word earlier, the auteurship yeah. uh, of Total Recall. Because it, it really is. I mean, it's super violent. In some places, it's kind of campy. But it is, uh, uh, I think, a real genuine work of filmmaking. And when you think of that streak, too, of like... Total Recall, Terminator 2, and then True Lies, you know, with these big action blockbusters, like, that is a hell of a run. Yeah, I mean, and that's not even getting into is, uh, you know, maybe slightly lesser budgeted, but still pretty explosive stuff from the late 80s. Totally. A lot of which are, you know, beloved by me as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think that wraps us up for Total Recall. Or does it? Fade to White. Mm, fade to White. Tony, what are we doing next time? Well, Cam, I think thematically it's appropriate for us to do. Uh, we've done a couple of these episodes. We're going to do Total Recall. Tony, what does that even mean? Uh, we're doing the 2012 Total Recall. So we've done this a couple times uh, with like Predator 2 and Call the Conqueror, a.k.a. Conan 3. Yeah, and at, or, some, point, and at some point we'll do the Jason Momoa Conan. And uh, we'd just like to take a look at... Projects that Schwarzenegger has done, but without Schwarzenegger. And I think for Total Recall, normally we try to put a bit of a gap between these because people don't want to hear us talking about the the same franchise or the same movie uh, two weeks in a row. But I think for Total Recall, it's kind of appropriate because uh, it's kind of what Total Recall's about, isn't it? It is. Like, this one feels very, I think, uh, like thematically appropriate to put the two Total Recalls right beside each other. And I'm just really fascinated. I have seen it, but I'm fascinated to go back and see it um, with the very, very fresh information of having watched the original. Yeah, me too. I, I've seen it as well. I know it's not very well liked. I remember kind of liking it, uh, but obviously it's not thinking it held a candle to the original. Right. But I'm I'm eager to to change have my have my mind changed through a further viewing. That's right. Or at least even better underline why the 1991 is so amazing. I, I like that approach. That's right. Okay, you can, of course, reach us via email at arnigeddonpod at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at arnigeddonpod. Uh, of course, we appreciate any reviews you can leave for us wherever you get your podcasts. Tony, how do they get hold of you? You can find me, Tony G. Tony like the name, G like the letter at arnigeddon.com. If you prefer to download direct from the source, you can find us at www dot arniegeddon.com okay you can of course find me on twitter at cam v is in violence to the ultra smith so we'll be back 
with Total Recall 2012.